0: Today we finish our embody conference a conference for the church in the city to think about how we embody the presence of Jesus in the city of Boston. And we've been blessed by the testimonies of many we've been blessed by the teaching of our own Kimberly Morrison last Sunday and by the ministry of Hugh Halter over the past couple of days as each have helped us to think about what it means and looks like to live and love like Jesus lived and loved. To be a people of the kingdom. A people who follow the king. A people who through whom the kingdom of God breaks in more and more into our context. And by no means have we figured this all out just yet. We have a lifetime to continue to grow and reflect on and ponder these realities. But my hope is that our extended reflection over this last week. Has helped in each one of us to take at least one little step Further. As we grow to maturity in Christ to become more like Jesus. I know it's been helpful to me in this regard. And if you've missed most or all of this last week. I would encourage you to take time to go back and to listen. And to think Uh, these resources will be online. And I think you'll be glad that you did. My task this morning is to bring this conference to a close. To take us one more time into the heart of the message. And in God's good providence this overlaps Uh, With our series on the gospel according to John. A series that we've been in since last September. And that will occupy us for another four weeks. Through the rest of this season of Eastertide. As we explore the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. In chapters 20 and 21 of John's gospel. Our text today is verses 19 through 23 of John chapter 20. What's known as the Johannine Great Commission. We know Matthew's Great Commission. ...go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit... ...and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But this is John's version of that commission. And here we see our mission again and we'll reflect on that first. But second, and this is really important and critical as we seek to walk forward faithfully. We'll see the context for this mission. And then third, we'll see the provision... For our mission. So we'll start in the middle of the text. Then we'll go back to the beginning. And then we'll look at the end. Mission. Context. And provision. So first mission. Verse 21. As the father has sent me. Even so. I am sending you. Simply put we are sent. Like Jesus. Sent like Jesus. Jesus actually says this in his high priestly prayer of John chapter 17 verse 18. As you have sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world. To be sent like Jesus is honestly quite amazing. And it should be humbling for all of us and overwhelming all at the same time. We are sent like Jesus was sent. So this begs the question of course so how was Jesus sent? And in many ways this has been the theme of the entire conference. And it should continue to be a question that we wrestle with throughout our lives of discipleship. But for today and for our study of this text and thinking about this first point of our mission. I want to just consider briefly and backfill from the gospel of John. The purpose and the manner of Jesus being sent. The purpose of it is quite simple. It is to save. So John Three, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is quite clear. And if you'll remember many weeks ago at the end of John 12, we looked at Jesus's final speech to all the world of his day and all the world that would hear his words through the writings of the gospel. According to John, he says in verse 47 of chapter 12, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. His purposes are to save. This mission for salvation flows out of the heart of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God the creator God would stay faithful to his creation. He loved his world. And it's as if God is saying loud and clear evil sin and death will not have the final word in my creation. But he will. So Jesus comes on a saving mission, a rescue mission. Fundamentally, that mission, that merciful, loving mission is rooted in Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection through which he would reconcile us to God and bring us in to new life. But we need to think because I think when we hear the word saving, sometimes we hear it in a disembodied, non-kingdom, escapist, soul-transporting way. And it's important, and we've spent enough time in John that I would expect most of you who have been with us through the series to know this that that's not really what the word means when we think about saving. Many of you will remember the vivid images after Hurricane Katrina in 2005 of people being rescued off the rooftops of their homes because of the flooding that had gone, or gone on in their neighborhood, rescued by helicopters. And that's not really an accurate picture. Or a complete picture of the kind of saving that Jesus does. Think of Jesus's presence as actually causing the waters to recede. Putting people in their homes. Ensuring that their neighborhoods are well protected. That families are strong and knit together. That children are cared for and well educated. That the lowly and poor are looked after. Forever. Jesus is the benevolent king. Who intends To restore his rightful world to what it was always meant to be. And all of his works of healing and of feeding and of raising the dead. These all point to his restorative saving work. We've seen the theme of new creation throughout the gospel according to John. And we see it again in this passage as we'll come to later. The salvation, the saving purpose... Of Jesus being sent is about renewal. It's about making new. It's about restoration. Yes, of right relationship with God, which is what was always meant to be the case. Human beings ruling over God's creation at the apex of creation, but underneath the authority of our Creator. Jesus intends to bring this back and to establish now His kingdom through His people. To be sent like Jesus is to be sent with a saving purpose. This is a saving mission and it's not and this is really important. Not a judging or condemning mission. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. John three seventeen. I did not come to judge the world. John twelve 47. Isn't it heartbreaking and really in some ways even diabolical. That the church is often known for judging and condemning these very things that Jesus says do not define his mission. Yes, Jesus spoke harsh words. But these words were reserved for the proud, the arrogant, the religious leaders of his day. Who put heavy burdens on others. And that is right and good. But how distorted is it when the broken, the hurting, the ashamed, the confused, the anxious. And by the way, that's most of us. And most of the people that we pass in the Boston Common or that we ride the T with or that share our office space or share our classrooms. How tragic is it that when they feel when they feel like Christians are the last people that they want to come to for help. Oh, that they would know the saving purpose of the church's mission to bring life. To restore them to what they were meant to be not because the church rides above but because we've found that life in him and are now sent like him with that saving purpose I wonder really if you would ask yourself the question of how you think about the people that you perceive as enemies to the Christian gospel or the Christian worldview first question is really do do we think about them at all do we despise them? Do we look down on them? Do we harbor anger toward them? Do we internally judge and condemn them even if we would never say it with our words? That's not being sent like Jesus. The way we think about groups of people or types of people or specific and particular people really matters. That annoying neighbor. That antagonistic coworker that troublemaker in your life that thorn in your side. These are the people that Jesus came to save, And this is shocking. He actually wants to do it through you. So how is the purpose the saving purpose of his mission known and with this. I want to think about the manner of his mission. Jesus in obedience to the father and love for us. Enters into the world. He gets proximate he moves into our neighborhood he comes close into our flesh and then as he's here he crosses barriers. You remember many many months ago when we were in John 4 and the barriers that Jesus crossed to engage this woman from Samaria who came out to get her water at the heat of the day. He Crossed barriers. He met tangible needs feeding the 5,000. Which would point to deeper needs. Offering us living water and the bread of life. That he says will truly satisfy us. He asked questions. Remember back in John chapter 5 with the invalid. Do you want to get well? How humanizing is that? To ask someone a question. Sometimes I think we approach our mission as if we've got a message to inflict on people. When in fact we are called To have a presence with people that dignifies them as human beings made in the image of God. And certainly Jesus asked questions and he listened. He engaged. He invited others to come and see. That's the title of this whole series this year. Come and see. Because in John chapter 1 Jesus invites the disciples to come and see. And then Philip invites Nathaniel to come and see. Jesus invited others to come alongside of him. His ministry in other words his, his manner of this mission is personal and local. It's engaging with real people and their lives and not just big ideas or big crusades. And this manner of mission of engagement that is personal culminates in the cross. We've seen this many times that the cross is the marker of his kingdom. It is the inauguration of his kingdom. It is the winning moment the victory. And it is of course a sign of Jesus's amazing self-giving and sacrificial love. That defines his ministry throughout. That is the manner of his ministry. It's a cross-shaped mission. And it's this manner that is to be embodied. Through those of us who have been sent like Jesus. To be personal. To be proximate. To humanize the people that we encounter. To listen to their stories. To understand their needs. To be willing to pour out of our own resources, our time, and our effort in order to meet those needs, to cross boundaries to do so, to pray, to be present. As we go out in this manner with this purpose, we become conduits through which God's saving power is unleashed in the world. We can't save anybody, we can't convict anybody, we're powerless, but as we are sent like Jesus was sent he works through us to do his life restoring new creation work it's an amazing reality Mandy and I learned an example of this kind of being sent like Jesus in the early years of our married life we were living in a small town Buena Vista Colorado 2,000 people one stoplight with plenty it wasn't a ski town it didn't have money like Vail or Aspen some of those towns many of you have heard of in Colorado and throughout nine months of the year when it wasn't summer recreation season it was pretty a pretty depressed place and there were mobile home parks and there was plenty of domestic abuse and substance abuse to go around and we got connected to a a small mission called the Arkansas Valley Christian Mission and we got a great lesson in being sent like Jesus from the leaders of that mission. An older couple in their late 60s at the time named Paul and Barbie. Paul was a recovering alcoholic. And what an amazing thing. And we all know how amazing the recovery community can be for us as Christians to learn from in this sense of daily dependence. Paul used to say, I get up every day and have to relinquish the control of my life to Jesus because if I don't, I will destroy it. And Paul and Barbie spent their weeks out meeting with people their days their hours there was a food pantry at the mission a clothes closet but Paul would often be out driving people around to find work or fixing their car Barbie was so gentle and warm and loving they were an amazing couple and then every Friday night we'd have a party we'd get together at this little humble place this called that was called the mission and everybody they'd been working with all week would gather and there'd be food that was donated from the local grocery store restaurants and We just sit down and have a meal together. You didn't know who was there because they needed help and who was there because they just wanted to be there. It was just like a big family having a party every week. It was so warm. And then we get to the end of the meal and Paul would always ask two questions. He would say, where have you seen God at work? And these people, most of whom who would never enter the door of a church, would begin to speak in very tangible, specific ways about how they had seen God work in this or that need or that area of their life. And I was so humbled. I was duly instructed by them. And then Paul would ask a second question, simple. Who needs prayer? And we'd spend some time just praying very specifically into the needs of these people and their stories and their lives and our own. It's an amazing picture Of what it meant to be sent like Jesus. With a saving purpose in the manner of presence and personal and sacrificial love. In a beautiful way. Another powerful example of this for me was a young woman that I met in Boston in 2009. She was an undergraduate at Boston University. And had had implanted herself very intentionally in the anarchist student community at BU. She understood the need to be proximate to meet needs, to ask questions, and to love sacrificially with her time. This was an intentional effort on her part. And here's some of her words in an email that she sent me in 2010. Another big yay God moment of grace. As you know, the anarchist community is one to which I feel a particular call, and I always dedicate my presence at parties and events to be used by God. I pray for those friends a lot, but it is rare that I actually get to talk about faith It's a particularly sensitive topic even though it's a community that I think shows longing for Jesus more than many. On Friday I went to a a party and entered a conversation in which I ended up being asked to pull out my Bible which I brought naturally and to talk about Jesus with my friend a recently married anarcho-feminist ex-Christian and whose father is a pastor. It was a very respectful and good conversation. I prayed for him and I pray for him and his wife every Thursday and many of the people I pray for have never shown any interest so it was just an encouragement. I'm so glad also that a newer friend of mine got to overhear some of our conversation. Now he knows it's an open topic and then she asks me pray for opportunities for me to live life with my anarchist friends even more. Isn't that a beautiful picture of being sent like Jesus going in and among a community with Jesus on our minds to love and to listen to learn and to serve. And to be ready to share. We are sent. Like Jesus. But we're sent in a context and this is the second point of our time together. The context. Of our mission. And this really matters in fact twice. This is emphasized in our text. What are the first words that Jesus says to his disciples when he enters into this locked room where they are cowering in fear? Verse 19, peace be with you. And again, verse 21, peace be with you. And in between these two declarations of peace, Jesus shows them his hands and his side and we're told that they were glad when they had seen the Lord. They realized what this was, that Jesus, the one whom they had seen publicly, crucified. As a political rebel, defeated, destroyed, had come back to life and was now standing before them in their very presence. He is now alive. This is the beginning of the new creation. And here's the point. They would have understood the battle has been won. The victory has been declared. The war is over. The prince of this world has been defeated. Death no longer holds Jesus in its grip. This is now a new day. And of course they would have remembered Jesus's final words on the cross when he said it is finished. The context of being sent like Jesus is Jesus's declaration that it is finished. The work has been done. The powers of darkness, evil, sin, and death have been overthrown. And the new creation work of God is now being unleashed. And they saw his body in between peace be with you. They see his wounds. Peace be with you. This is the context ...of their mission, of our mission. I wonder if you remember where you were eight years ago today. April 18th, 2013. You may not, but most of you will... ...if you were in the city of Boston. We had just experienced the great tragedy... ...of the Boston Marathon bombing on April 15th. And three days later... ...we were locked in our houses afraid... ...as a citywide manhunt took place... For the suspects of the bombing. And we were all still traumatized by the event on the 15th. But then we were somewhat re-traumatized by cowering in our homes. And being worried about going out even into our yards. Uncertain about what was on the loose. You might remember then the next day after things were resolved in Watertown. Just the, the sense of burden lifted that we could Go out of our homes again and we could enter into the world without the fear of this unknown threat being on the loose. And I have to think that in a lot of ways that that's exactly what the disciples suddenly experienced. They were locked in a room too. And then Jesus shows up and declares peace. The victory has been won. And they are now able to enter into the world In the wake of that triumph remember what Jesus said in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. They knew that now. They knew that was true. They had living evidence. Can you imagine the way in which your fear would be taken away. If you saw Jesus bodily physically there in the room with you. And then you knew. That the thing you feared most underneath every other fear which was death itself had been defeated. But this peace be with you wasn't just about a cosmic victory. It also had and contained a deep word of personal forgiveness. We remember these men gathered in this room that Jesus appears to. They had denied him. They had walked with him for three years. They'd listened to his ministry, his teaching. They'd learned from him. He had washed their feet. And then they abandoned him. One thinks they must have been a little bit nervous. I I think I would have expected a scolding, a harsh word. How could you? I can't believe I chose you. But of course Jesus doesn't say that. He would never say that to any of us. Instead, he says, peace be with you. The reality of the cross and resurrection is that this has become the means by which we are offered genuine forgiveness for the, so the sin, the shortcoming, the brokenness, whatever word we use for it that all of us carry around in our lives like a big heavy weight that leads us to guilt and to shame. Some of us may be struggling with that even this morning and Jesus wants you to know that there is genuine forgiveness in his words, peace Be with you. That the inner turmoil can be stilled and calmed. That we're no longer bound and enslaved. To all the bad decisions that we've made in the past. But that there's something new for us. And so this cosmic victory. And this personal word of forgiveness. Are the context for being sent like Jesus. Because it's right after that he says. As the father has sent me even so I am sending you. Which means this. We have nothing to hide. We have nothing to prove. And we have nothing to lose. As his disciples. The war is over. We've been forgiven. And we can now rest in the completed work of Jesus as we go out into the world. As his agents. To implement that victory in all the little places and spaces to which he has called us will this be easy of course not we know that in fact Jesus tells us to expect struggle he says at the end of his words to his disciples in the upper room before he's crucified I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation so you will you'll have tribulation but then he says but take heart I have overcome the world we do struggle. We do have tribulation. But our struggle is not against the people who are made in the image of God that sometimes we think of as our enemies. Rather, it's against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that, yes, have been defeated decisively at the cross, but still wreak havoc in different ways in our lives, and our world, until the day that Jesus returns and will eradicate them from his world and make all things new but we need not fear them even if they lead to our death because we will never die our mission we can take great risks together arm in arm for the sake of the gospel for the sake of the kingdom in this world in personal ways being proximate to those that might never want to come near a church but embodying the presence of Jesus because of what has happened on the cross that's the context of our mission. And then third and finally, the provision for our mission. Verse 22, just after Jesus calls them on mission, he breathes on them. And says, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but when I think about being sent like Jesus, I'm really overwhelmed. I think we all are, probably, if we're honest about it. This life of surrender and control, of giving our our time and energy and resources over to our king of not being self-centered and self-protective and and just staying comfortable. That's the life he's calling us to. That's the way he was sent by the father. And so I'm sending you in the same way. But we know how fickle we are. We know how little power we have. Jesus addresses that here. This is a scene that evokes what we read in Genesis 2. At the beginning of creation when God had formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. We're told that he breathed into him. And he became a living creature. And here Jesus breathes onto his disciples and says receive the Holy Spirit. Now we might remember back in chapter 3. When Jesus said that no one can enter the kingdom of God. Unless he is born again. Born of water and of the spirit. And here we see that born again reality happening. To his disciples. As he shares his new creation life with them through the spirit. And they are born again. Into a new empowered way of life. That will enable them to be sent into the world like Jesus was sent note the giving of the spirit here occurs on the evening of Easter day whereas in Luke's account it occurs 50 days later on Pentecost and there are indeed some interesting options to discuss about how to reconcile John and Luke but I don't want those to detain us here because I want to stay focused on the main point that John is making and that main point is about rebirth and renewal that enables us to now become the agents of this kingdom, which bears this rest restorative, saving purpose into the world. It's an incredible reality that John is communicating to us here. Without the Spirit, being sent like Jesus would be an exercise in frustration and futility. But with the Spirit, we're granted two things in particular. First, we have the presence of God. Remember how Matthew's Great Commission account ends. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus says. And this reassurance of his presence is fulfilled in the giving of the Spirit here in John's account. With the Spirit in us, we have the very presence of God dwelling in us and with us at all times. It's no wonder the Spirit is referred to as the helper or the comforter. In the upper room discourse. This fulfills the promise Jesus had made in John 14 verse 16. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. This is astonishing. That we have God's very presence in us and with us. To bring us comfort to teach us about and bear witness to Jesus. And to do the work of convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. This presence of God in us also explains the overwhelming responsibility of implementing the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. In verse 23, a verse that has confounded exegetes for centuries. We don't forgive sins. God forgives sins. That's what we would say. But whatever verse 23 means, it means at least in some sense that as we announce and live out the good news of the kingdom of God in Jesus That we invite others into true forgiveness. And that we also warn others of the consequences of rejecting the king. We have the privilege of inviting and the responsibility of warning. As a part of our ministry as the church underneath and on the foundation of the apostles. They have that responsibility paradigmatically and in some ways representatively. But we carry that on in the apostolic church. One holy catholic and apostolic church as the Nicene Creed says carrying out that witness in such a way that Jesus says in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And again, that is God's work, but it is now God present in us doing that work of forgiving and of withholding as we have the privilege of sharing through word and deed the reality of God in his good news to make all things new. But in addition to God's presence which leads to this amazing responsibility and privilege. The spirit of course brings God's power into our lives. Power to transform us personally and power that now works through us to transform the world around us and the people around us. The spirit simply put is divine empowerment for mission. Living a life of love that declares in word and deed the saving and reconciling purposes of God in Christ. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be sent like Jesus. To take up our cross. And this spirit is now breathed out upon the disciples in this locked room. Rebirthing them. As new creatures who can and will, as we watch unfold in the book of Acts, they will witness to Jesus in an embodied way through their community, through their deeds and through their words. Think of the powerful proclamation in the book of Acts, which grows the church. Think of the amazing, holy and beautiful community where the poor are cared for, which is attractive and draws people in. And think of the deeds of love and mercy, of caring for widows and of going out and serving the poor that take place throughout the book of Acts. This is spirit empowered witness. To enable the church to be sent like Jesus was sent. Now our response to being sent like Jesus. Should really be like Paul's in 2 Corinthians 2, 16. Who is sufficient for these things? None of us are. But thanks be to God. For his amazing grace to bring people like us into his fold. And to breathe out the spirit upon us. That we might have his presence and his power. Under the context of his victory and his forgiveness. To go out into the world just like Jesus did. To save, not to condemn, not to judge. But to save, to get proximate, to come close to needs. To pour our lives out to meet those needs. To be his presence in the city of Boston. To be his presence around the globe. This is happening, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is happening in and through us. There are stories to tell How we give thanks to God for our global missionaries who model for us the costliness and the intentionality that it takes to do mission in a foreign context, in a culture. And we thank God for their work and for what they teach us about what it means to be sent like Jesus here in our neighborhoods in Jamaica Plain and Roxbury and Mattapan and Wellesley and Lexington, East Boston, all around this city. We thank God for their example. As they do that in those foreign lands. May we do that here. Learning from what they have taught us. And there are many here doing that today. In the city of Boston. A city that needs the kingdom to break in more and more. That needs to feel and experience and understand. The saving purposes of the church. That we've come to bring life. Not to condemn you, not to judge you, not to say we're better than you or above you or you can't be here if you look, if you don't look, unless you look and act a certain way. But really, to open our hearts out there, where you are right now, watching this on camera, that's where we are, scattered around this city, under the banner of peace. Be with you, empowered by the Spirit. This is our work. And we will work to tell these stories more and more because they're encouraging. But may we also live and pray in such a way that we have more and more stories to tell. Of the mighty hand of God bringing about new life. Because he sent us just like Jesus was sent. Let's pray. God we thank you for all that's gone on this past week. And we humble ourselves before you. Please. In your mercy. Fill us afresh. With your spirit. Take away our fear. And anxiety. Reassure us of your great forgiveness. Oh Lord that we might live and serve like you lived and served. Take away our judgmental condemning hearts. God and give us a heart of love for the people that you love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.